Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Wyman. And today, talking to draft expert Chip Jones, uh, video scout over at Thinking Basketball, co-creator of Swish Theory. Chip, how you doing? I, we were talking a little bit before the show. You're supposed to, this is supposed to be your resting period. You you worked all year. The draft happened, you know, extremely busy. But then you told me you're somehow busier now than pre-draft. How, how does that work? College, man. They're crazy. They're animals. <laughs> well, well, luckily, you are young enough to, you're, you're able to, you know, we talk about like total offensive load a lot on this podcast. As a young person in your 20s, you're able to take on a larger load. You don't like sleep. You don't really need, you can replace that with energy drinks to a point. So I uh, I turned 31 uh, a few weeks ago. And I'll tell you what, you got to, you really just overwork yourself. So when you're 31, uh, you know, you're gonna be a little bit slower. You're gonna be a little sleepier. You know, you'll hopefully have set yourself up for success. So that, that's my advice to you. Just really, really overwork yourself in your in your twenties. I appreciate that. Happy happy birthday, by the way. A little belated, but <laughs> thanks. Uh, all right, so let's talk draft. We don't do a ton of draft coverage on this podcast. I've talked about it <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Where it's like I I I'm very interested. Obviously, Wemby at the top of the draft, and then Scoot all year. People were talking about him, and then Brandon Miller. I'd say later on. Uh, especially in sort of the draft process, really shot up a lot of boards. So want to hone in on those three guys at the very top. Let's talk about Wemby number one. And I'm interested in where you compare, because obviously generational prospect, everyone's really excited about him. Like, how do you go about kind of uh, taking a look at this guy in comparison to other prospects because i know like greatest prospect ever has been thrown around a lot but especially at the last few years how do you internally sort of grade players and then how do you compare them to other seasons to like sort of sort of get your bearings yeah i mean i think that's a it's a tricky question but i would say especially when it comes to like generational guys like Wemby, uh people are pretty big on the age curve so it's like at, you know, age 19, what can you do? Because, you know, if you're a college guy and you're 22, you're a senior, a lot of the guys you're playing are just like three years younger than you. So you kind of should dominate them. Like you should be better three years, you know, past their age. Whereas when you look at like the greats, they came in at 19 and we're just dominating players that were like older than them, right? You know, they're all putting up crazy stat lines. And I think when you look at something like that, you know, like Luca winning MVP of the Euro League at 18, right? Wemby winning MVP of the... Uh, French top division at 19, right? That's kind of when you get to that generational thing of like, oh, okay, well, at this age, they're already dominating their competition. They're already better than adults. So that kind of stands out to you and I think really helps kind of contextualize how special they are. That reminds me of, so where I grew up, there was enough kids that played baseball going into high school that weren't good enough, like where you could play rec mm-hmm. in high school. So we, we had a high school team, but there was enough, there was like maybe like five teams in the area where if you wanted to play, it was like more casual. And obviously like we weren't good enough to play high school. And the funny thing is you need to make the player pool really big for that to work. So you could be a freshman in high school all the way up to 20 years old. <laughs> so I remember as a freshman, like I haven't hit my growth yeah. spurt yet and I'm playing against like an adult, <laughs> like a guy is like smoking in the parking lot. Uh, that, that sort of reminds me of what you were saying where I know age is really it's an important thing when we talk about the draft because you know skill development getting better year over year do you think like what do you think Wemby would be like let's say let's just go back to you know maybe 1980 
and he's coming in, but he's coming after maybe four years in college. What like what difference do you think that would make? And like, would that w- would the world be ready for that in 1980? <laughs> yeah, I mean, with his perimeter skill, I think the the concern would be would his coaches kind of allow him to do that, and would like the systems the teams were running allow him to kind of be him. But I mean, I think we've kind of seen that in the 80s. A lot of times the best players did stay like multiple years in college, you know, like Magic, Bird, uh, Kareem, Bill Walton, those types of guys. They were like college legends for, you know, they played there for a few years. Bill Russell at San Francisco, right? And carried their teams to like 34 and one seasons, averaging like 2015 and like six blocks or something crazy like that. So, I mean, I think it would be, it would really kind of, the records he'd be setting, I think, would just be really funny to look at where it'd be like the first player since like Wilt Chamberlain in college to average such and such. It would probably look pretty funny. I think he would hunch more. I think he'd do the Kevin Durant thing where he'd be like, no, 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 I don't play with the bigs. I'm just a really large forward, you know? (laughs) Um, Okay, so obviously like we've seen the highlights where he misses the three and he gets the put back dunk right without the ball hitting the ground. And the casual, you know, college or, or a prospect spectator like myself, where I don't really even know what to do with that. Uh, what was something you discovered about him that maybe isn't in, you know, one of the three Main Street bullet points that, that, you know, on ESPN, a quick hit on CBS Sports, whatever it is. When you dug into him, what were some of the interesting kind of like internals of his game? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a good off-court one for that as well. But on court, I would say the interesting thing for Wemby would probably be uh, the way that he kind of, I would say the way that he kind of processes the game as a ball handler and how he's like, one thing that's not super common at that age is like declining screen, like ball screens, like just go, you know, someone sets a screen for you on the left and you go right instead, you know, you sell your guy, you sell your man that you're going to use the screen and go the other way. You don't really see guards doing that at 19 yet. Like that's not super common. You get like one or two a year in college that are like really using that to their advantage. Wemby's doing is a 19 year old seven foot five big in a professional league. <laughs> so I, yeah, that that's that's an interesting that that is a, a fairly advanced ball handling tactic, right? And for I, it's one of those things where it breaks my brain. Like I don't really know what to do. You ever like when you're looking at an optical illusion or you're looking at the Grand Canyon? The longer you look at it, almost the weirder it gets. That's sort of how I feel with Wemby. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, what, what was the off uh, off the court story? Yeah, so in a, in a French interview, I had a, fr- a friend translate this to me because uh, I I'm a big fan of uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, fantasy author, and uh, mm-hmm. yep. Wemby apparently is reading the same fantasy book series, so he is into some real nerdy stuff. <laughs> That's gonna fit in, I feel like, with the San Antonio. Have you ever Starcraft the... on the plane? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Them playing Starcraft. <laughs> That that is one of the all-time videos. It's yeah, the Spurs players not only playing StarCraft, but like like the best I can't remember who it is, but they're like, no, you need to build more tanks. Like they're getting like really specific about it. You don't have enough tanks. Um, that is that's one of my favorite all-time like uh players kind of doing things outside basketball clip. Uh all right, so let's let's move on from Wemby at number one. I know uh we we really could talk about him for the whole episode, but I wanted to uh, talk about this. So obviously Scoot was talked about. I mean, if you see him, you're like that, that, 
that doesn't look like a, a, a person under the age of 20. Like that Scoot can't buy out. Like Scoot for sure can walk into a liquor store. I don't think he's getting carded. That that was my analysis on him just like in terms of like just body and physicality. So the Hornets have a decision to make. They, you know, they're talking about Scoot all year. Brandon Miller makes, you know, a huge push late in the season. What was your kind of take going into the draft? Who did you have higher between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson? So I had Scoot at two and I had Brandon Miller at four. Mm, who drew Ben Thompson? Okay. So what was the thinking behind that? Yeah. So I guess the thing for me with Brandon Miller would be I think one big difference you see in evaluators is uh, some evaluators, they value kind of like grassroots stuff. Like they're really following these kids since they're like 14, 15. And then some of them, you know, they get to college and it's like, all right, this is the year. And sometimes they'll go back and watch some of the like high school and AAU type stuff, but they're like mainly looking at the college tape. So I would say one of the big things is like a year ago, like not a year ago, two years ago when they were playing AAU, like Brandon Miller was not even the best player on his own team. So to have him go like number two in the draft is kind of a, a big push there. I would say some of the concerns for me with Brandon Miller would be that, you know, his his finishing, it while it improved throughout the year, it, it's still not the best. And then defensively, he's he's got some big issues. So I, I would be really scared oh. about that. Okay, those, those seem like valid concerns. What were the things on tape you were seeing with Scoot where you were like, I got to lock this guy into the number two spot? I just think like, you know, the pick and roll is the most commonly used play in the NBA. And so pick and roll ball handlers are super valuable and you're not going to really find a better pick and roll ball. Like you'll find better pick and roll ball handlers, but you're in the draft. Like that's like a number one type pick, pick and roll ball handler with his like athleticism and stuff. And I mean, he's smaller, but he's got like a six, nine wingspan. I think it is. So he plays large and lives above the rim as a six, two guard. And he makes, you know, phenomenal passes. And I think, one thing I always like to bring up is in 2021, right, when Brandon Miller was kind of like the second option to Nick Smith on their own AAU team, Scoot was scoring 30 in the G League at the same time. That's a lot of points. That's why I, I, I always tell people like 20 points, that, that, that the, every team is going to have someone that scores 20 points. That doesn't really do anything for me. 25 points? Okay, I'll raise an eyebrow. I'll take a look at that. Maybe there's something there because, you know, volume scoring is, is great, but, you know, there's more to it. You start averaging 30 points a game. I don't really care what level you're at. I'm like, okay, this, ha- this fully has my attention. <laughs> I'm very interested in this. Okay, so the Hornets take Brandon Miller at two. You're concerned about the finishing. You're concerned about the defense. All right. The Blazers take Scoot Henderson at three. You talk about him as a fantastic pick and roll ball handler. Outside of the pick and roll ball handling, how do you see if he stays on the team? I know there's been a lot of trade rumors. Obviously, Dame is a point guard. If he isn't you know, on ball as much, not running as many pick and rolls, obviously, because with Dame on the team, the 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 usage just isn't going to be there. How do you see him? affecting games early on in his career you know outside of that skill yeah i mean i think the first thing that comes to mind is obviously a transition because he's just an absolute demon in transition he's one of the more athletic players we've seen in the past few years i mean people constantly comp him to like russell westbrook derrick rose john morant so i mean he's that type of athlete as a guard lives above the rim he finished a lot of lobs in the g league so i think that and the other thing i think which is interesting especially if they do end up keeping Dame and Scoot together, because that'll obviously affect Scoot's development differently than if he was a team that just let him like run pick and roll every possession and be like that guy, right? I think like you talked about with his athleticism, you could see some really interesting stuff on the defensive end. Like Scoot has the tools to be like the best defensive guard in the NBA. Mm, 
his technique's like nowhere okay. near there. And like, why would it be? I mean, he's always been the offensive go-to guy, but I do think if he keeps developing around Dame and is trying to figure out how he can contribute, I think defense could be really, really big for him. All right. That, that is very interesting because the Blazers, I feel like throughout the, the, there was Dame and CJ, not really, you know, those guys not really known for their defense too much. And then obviously they have Anthony Simons now, who's a fantastic shooter, but is a smaller guy, also not a defender. So if Scoot could make an impact there as maybe like a point of attack defender, that could be, you know, really great early value as the, the, the roles slowly switch. Cause let's just say him and Dame stay together. Dame stays with the Blazers and he, you know, he, he's probably a star for the next two years. And then he ages out of that role at like, you know, age 36, age 37, and maybe Scoot maybe takes over. I would be interested to see a, you know, a high end defender early in his career. Like you said, transition monster. And then when Dame goes to the bench, you take over those ball handling responsibilities and then you slowly develop that into a star player. I feel like uh, a lot of the times players get dropped into situations where it's like like Ivy this year with the Pistons, where it was like, you're just going to have the ball a ton. We're going to need you to play make. We're going to need you to chuck up a lot of shots because there's just not a lot of talent on this team. And while there were things he did like it, it put up an interesting amount of like his playmaking grade was pretty good. There was, you know, some, some huge holes in the efficiency. And some of that is kind of being thrown in the deep end of the pool. I feel like scoot going to the blazers could potentially over like a five-year window, be a really interesting changing of the guard kind of hybrid. I, I don't know, not not two timelines, but I, I'm just I'm interested in that situation and the possibilities of it maybe working. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, and I mean, from everything I know, like off the court, Scoot's like just insanely competitive, constantly in the gym. Like all he cares about is basketball. So I'm sure, like, whatever he needs to do to get his team winning, he's gonna do. All right. Um, so those are the top three picks. Talked about Wemby going to the Spurs, Brandon Miller going to the Hornets, and then Scoot going to the Blazers. So those are the top three guys. Those were the stars of the draft. What's another player in the first round where you were maybe a little higher on consensus, um, maybe a, a team you, you like the fit? Who were some players that stood out to you outside of that top three? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of guys who like stood out and I was higher on than consensus, I think Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara got drafted by the Warriors with the 19th pick. I, I really, really like him. I think he's going to contribute for them pretty early on. And definitely he's going to be the type of he's I don't think he'll ever be a star player. But I mean, it's Santa Clara. This guy averaged as a like a six, four guard. He averaged like 19 points and nine rebounds. So, I mean, I saw that I saw that rebounding number on a graphic and I was like, what, what is going on in Santa Clara? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this guy, I think you kind of when you think about like high rebounding guards, I think one that comes to mind is Pat Connaughton a lot of the time. I think uh-huh. Pajemski is kind of similar to Pat Connaughton, but I think there's more there offensively, even if he's not because I mean, Pat's a pretty crazy athlete. So I think like Pat may be a bit more athletic than pods, although pods still tested really well and looks pretty solid athletically, it seems. So I still think he's kind of in that similar mold, but I think he is more there offensively. And I think when you think about that player as like your, you know, your fourth option or whatever, right? That's going to be the type of role player that everyone in the league wishes wishes was on their team. Yeah, absolutely. What's uh, what's one more first rounder that you really, really like compared to consensus? Um. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I would have to go with Dariq Whitehead. 
uh, the Nets got it. Too. Oh, that's that's a good name. That's a good name. Yeah, I'm, have I told you my strategy on drafting, especially out of the lotto? If you can find guys with very cool names, okay. I think that really helps. You know, it, it helps you're able to stand okay. out. You're able to be remembered. I just think it helps your career. No, I mean absolutely, and I think I think Derek definitely fits that, and I think he's also going to fit it. He's going to help his own career with his play. Um, I mean, coming into the year, Derek was. I think towards the end, he started getting rated as the number one high school player in the class. And now you see him as the 22nd pick. So he had a foot injury uh, coming to Duke. And when you, I think one thing people can often underrate with foot injuries is like, you can't do anything. Like there's no working out or training or like staying, you can't do anything. So like <laughs> Derek was one of the youngest players in the class. I don't think I, cause they didn't play South Carolina with Gigi Jackson. I don't think that Derek played a player that was younger than him the entire season. So like every single player he played against was older than him. That's a very that's a very and we talked about the aging yeah, curve at the exactly. top of the episode. That's very very interesting. All right, uh, before we get out of here, I I want to know you know obviously you cover the draft you go really deep you know do a lot of research. Has it changed how you value picks being traded in the the years you've been covering the draft? Yeah, I would say so. And kind of go into detail. What what was kind of your thought process, and how has that changed over the years? I think the teams overvalue them, which is sad because I, I watch the guys all year, and then you know you work for the you work for a team, and you scout these guys all year, and then they just trade the draft pick. It's kind of sad, but I think that teams maybe value draft picks a little too highly. Okay, so this is my this is my take on draft picks in the NBA. It's the only form of currency you yeah. have. And it's the only form of like, like the, the reason currency is valuable is because it is, it, it won't go bad, right? Like before we were trading like chickens and eggs, the problem was like, well, I want to trade you half or I want to trade, you know, my chickens for your half a cow, but I don't have a way to like keep this half a cow from going bad. But if you trade me picks and then I keep trading picks down, I could like potentially keep that instead of a cow, that pick fresh forever. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but sometimes I'm like, it, because it's the only form of currency, and maybe it's a little easier in the NFL because there's more rounds and your roster is bigger, like second and third and fourth round picks are a lot more valuable, where basketball, it's a little more, or it's a lot more top heavy at the top of the draft. So what do you think about like kind of my pushback there on, I, I get what you're saying, but since it's the only form of currency, you're sort of forced to deal with it. Yeah, I definitely think that's a very fair point. And I think I think that's part of the problem, right? You get like all these players in the league. I think you you have these players who are just like trapped, where it's like their current team doesn't really have a spot <laughs> for them. And it's like, well, they're not worth trading a first round pick for because first round picks have high mm-hmm. value. But like, I'd rather just keep them than get a second round pick because I don't need the second round pick. What am I going to do with that? So then these players just get <laughs> trapped where it's like there are other teams who would play them, but there's just no way for them to get out of there because they're just like not worth a first round pick, but worth more than a second round pick to their team that has them. So I definitely wish there was some other form of currency or something that NBA teams could use. But yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. If you're looking at them from like an asset standpoint of their, you know, you want them to keep for, well, I guess part of it is you want to keep them as an asset to trade because it's the only form of currency. And that's what I'm saying is teams should just trade them more. Hmm. Because the way I see it is like from, I don't know, player like 90 to player, I don't know, like 150. And they're all going to change every year because the, the, the tiers are much larger that far down in the league. There's so many guys where they're worth like 0.7 first round picks. 
you know, where it's like, I wish I had like, <laughs> I actually thought it would be a good idea to, you know how they want to do, or I think they might've passed it in the CBA. There's going to be the in-season tournament. Yeah. So what I think they should do to like incentivize the team or whatever, like they should incentivize the players. I think there's going to be like some sort of cash bonus, but then also have a a pick where if you win the draft, you get, or sorry, if you win the tournament, you get the uh, last draft in the first or the last draft pick in the first round. So they just create like an additional yeah. draft pick that is the 31st pick in the draft that has like sort of a split value between the first and the second round. Cause I'm like, Oh, that trade piece would be so perfect for trading for, you know, that, that seventh guy that's going to come be your eighth guy on your team. Maybe that might play in the playoffs like 10 minutes. Okay. Can I pitch my idea to you? Cause I've had something very similar. Okay, yes. so my idea was an exception. So you get a trade exception once every four years because a rookie contract is four years if you pick up the the options, right? Because you know how teams have like a biannual exception where every two years they could pay like two years six mil to a free agent and it doesn't like go over the cap or whatever, right? It would yep. be like that, except it's every four years. It's a trade exception of a pick. You can't use it yourself or like trade for your own back. But if you trade it to someone else, then it becomes a pick between the first and second round. So like like you're suggesting, adding like a compensatory round like the NFL or MLB does, right? And having... So does every team get every this team, every four Every years? team gets one every four years, but they don't have to use it. But like if they trade it to another team, then the other team would get that like extra pick in the compensatory round. So it'd be something to trade for those players worth like 0.7 first round picks. You would be able to trade your like compensatory draft pick. And then like, you know, teams that have extra players that they can't find spots for, they might be able to trade them off and get some form of value in return that they would care about. But like you can only use it if you trade it. And I think it would also kind of incentivize teams to maybe compete a bit more because they want to use this asset, right? Hmm. That's an interesting, that's a, like a, uh, a fairly complex, yeah. uh, how, how'd you come up with that? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. I just, I just sit around and think, man. Uh, I, I sit around and think a lot, but I think in like much more basic. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos for Basketball Index on Twitter. Yeah, I always tell people this. I'm like, uh, graphic design for me is just different squares and circles. And you'll see like the more the more complicated the video I make, the more just squares and circles there are moving on the screen. <laughs> so I think in very like in very straight lines. But I really like that. Like I feel like my idea is a straight line, and like your idea is like a circle or like a more complex like rhomba shape. But I really I really like that because I anything to spice up the draft. I heard someone they were like they should do the uh they should do the lottery one hour before the draft and i was like that would certainly make draft night like a very exciting event that would definitely be fun i, I was a big proponent of getting letting the players choose their own walkout music is it is it just like stock, yeah, it's just stock walkout music, music? Mm. well i mean they 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 do go crazy with the outfits okay so how do you feel about the crazy the crazy outfits that they were on draft night this is grady dick's uh well, is it the what's the Wizard of Oz character? Uh, the with like in the red yeah, dress. Yeah, what's the main what's the main character in the Wizard um, of Oz name? What is the main character? Dorothy. Short, Dorothy. It's not Shirley. Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah, even yeah. had red bottoms on his shoes because he went to the University of Kansas and he's like not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> That's uh, there's a lot of theme yeah, there. I like that. A walkout walkout music I like. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. Is there any way you would? Any other changes to the draft where you try to make it like more zany and more entertaining? I like the lottery one hour before. That's hilarious. <laughs> lottery one hour before is like, I would just be like profusely sweating. Oh man, that would be very exciting. 
Uh, all right. Well, Chip, that is uh, that's our our recap of the 2023 draft. Obviously, Wemby at the top. We're going to be talking about him for years, if not decades. Like, there's already. Have you seen the posts? Like, this is just gold off season content creation. There's like posts. Like, is is Wemby already like a top ten player in the league? Have you seen these? Yeah, I wouldn't go that far, but I have seen stuff like that. I've also seen the what does he do that Bull Bull can't. Yeah, there's been a lot of bull bull. Yeah, there's been a lot of. I will say though, you you show someone a, a two minute highlight reel bull bull, and like you'll believe some things. Yeah, I feel like some people need to watch more than two minute highlights. I feel like that's why we have this situation in the first place. No, 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 no. That's how it will work. Hopefully, maybe we can get the highlight reels shorter. Maybe just like YouTube reels. Just one just play. Like one minute. Just one play. Yeah. yeah what. So I uh, I used to work at Pro Football Focus, and one of my bosses, he, uh, Steve Palazzolo, he was on the podcast, and he's like one of their main main guys, and he would always talk about how uh, one play scouting is such a problem in football, where you'll see someone do something that's impossible, and then like you just can't get that out of your head. And he used to talk about you know like the the good thing about analytics and all the tape study is like you you fight back against that one play scouting. I, I and I, I believe that for a while, but I'm actually trying to yank it back the other way, where I'm like maybe one play scouting is the way. Maybe like you see three Derek Jones Jr. highlights, and you're like maybe I should be giving this guy like 25 million a year. As a Bulls fan, who's very open to a sign and trade. I'm a proponent of your idea. I think some team should give Derek Jones Jr. 25 million a year and they should trade us something for it. Uh, well, I, I one time saw him block LeBron on twice in three possessions, I believe. And or something like that. It was like twice in twice in ten possessions in a quarter. And I was like, cool, I saw I've seen the light. Patrick Williams blocked Zion uh, Williamson three times and a half. See, this is the type of micro content we need, Chip. All right, you. This is what Swish Theory should pivot to: super micro content, not even full sentences, just phrases, no capital words, and a GIF, not even videos. I can get behind it. Yeah, you it's can get the behind new age that? of short form content, shorter form content. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, micro, you know, they call like talk about oh, micro. No. This micro it's too, too much like microtransactions. It's bad optics. <laughs> all right this is chip jones draft expert i always love talking to him uh because he just goes i just uh, psychopath deep on the draft so it's always great talking to him um nobody really prepares better in my opinion for the draft so uh, if you want more draft content uh chip on twitter where do, where do we follow you uh, my twitter handle is chip j nba uh, so you can you can find me there. I also do stuff for Thinking Basketball. So if you find us on YouTube, Thinking Basketball, you can find some stuff there. All right. Fantastic. Chip Jones, thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.